So something that we have been doing throughout the last number of years is on the first Sunday of the month, as we're running Sunday school, on the first Sunday of the month, we dedicate that day to the Great Commission, to talking about the Great Commission. What is the role of the Great Commission? Christ's last command to us before His ascension, go into all the world, right? Go into all the world, He told us to do. Making disciples of all men, baptizing them and teaching them to follow His commandments. We're going to do that today. And the way this is going to work today is probably about half the time or a little under half the time. I'm going to do a a little devotion of thought for us on the Great Commission. And then after that, we're going to talk about something that, quite frankly, has the opportunity for the results of the Great Commission, and that's the Fall Festival, as I mentioned to you in Mass today. One of the core pillar teachings that stays in my heart regarding the Great Commission are the words of Metropolitan John of Albania. Because so many times when it comes to the Great Commission, we think command, therefore we must do. And we keep it at that level. Command, he says, do it, we must do it. Well, there's some truth to that. But there's so much more behind that and all around that. Metropolitan John of Albania, when witnessing... Albania was a country at that time when he was there that for a while was decimated of every religion. No religion was allowed. I mean, folks, they destroyed Muslim mosques as well as all the Orthodox churches in Albania. No religion was allowed for a number of years in Albania. When Metropolitan John went back, then just a priest, a young priest, When he went back, he went back feeling the call to rebuild the Church of Albania out of nothing. Because there was only a few old priests in the entire country left in the entire country during that time. So you talk about mission work. One of his thoughts that came out of what he witnessed God do regarding the Great Commission was what I've told you many times around here. He made this statement. The Church of God does not have a mission The God of mission has a church. The church of God does not have a mission. The the God of mission has a church. This tells us about who God is. It also tells us something else about ourselves. That we believe that our salvation, as we are being saved by being filled with the Holy Spirit, as we remain in Christ, that our being saved is theosis. That we are being made in the likeness of God. We are growing all the time that we're in Him, more and more, day by day, to become like our Father in Heaven. Through Christ our Lord, by the Holy Spirit. That's theosis. And so if God is a God of mission, and He has a church, then if the church is becoming like God, they're becoming like the God of mission. They're taking on His character. They're taking on His nature towards the ones that are outside of the, of the ark of salvation and in such dire need of being their lives reordered by Him and brought back to life again. So these are the words of Metropolitan John of Albania. And so I want to offer a word on something about the character of God. If we're to grow into it through theosis, something about the character of God when it comes to the Great Commission and evangelism according to our church. 
Now, I see many new faces in here since I came along almost six years ago. It'll be six years in February. But there are also some that have heard me talk about this. Father Michael Kaiser, many of you will remember him because he came a number of times early on while I was here. Father Michael Kaiser basically brought myself and a few folks that I had in a small mission church in, in New Orleans into orthodoxy after Hurricane Katrina. And since then, he has become a mentor of mine. He did all my liturgical training for the Western Rite worship and the liturgy. And uh, he still is a mentor of mine. In fact, I just talked to him the other day. Father Michael Kaiser wrote a book on evangelism called Spread the Word. And I would encourage anyone who would like to read about the church's understanding of the Great Commission and evangelism to grab up this book. Because not only does it go through the history of evangelism throughout the church, he talks about some very crucial points to our understanding who we are in God's work of mission in the earth. So again, his book is called Spread the Word by Father Michael Kaiser. You all know, or at least most of you know, that a few weeks ago, Deacon uh, Finian Adams, he is on the Board of Missions and Evangelism for the Antiochian Church. He interviewed me on one of his, uh, uh, there's an evangelism series he does called Things That Work. And we did a video computer interview. He rang me up just about a week ago, actually about two weeks ago now. And he said, you know, you know Father Kaiser very well. And I actually talked to him about this. and He'd like for you to do this. We are really interested in creating a group study book to go along with his book so that churches can do this study and truly as a group with conversation amongst one another truly begin to comprehend this understanding of the Great Commission. So Deacon Finian and I are working on that and it will be published with uh, the uh, Missions and Evangelism Board and the Antiochian Church. I'll give you more about that later. So I have been going back through his book, Spread the Word Chapter by Chapter, and forming discussion questions that we good to bring out the right things in, in all the living stones in the church with Deacon Finian. And I came across something literally a couple days ago that I thought was fascinating. In one of the chapters of his book, Father Michael Kaiser discusses the life and the evangelistic ministry of St. Patrick when he went to Ireland and uh, was fulfilling the Great Commission. And uh, many don't understand the full story of St. Patrick. You know, yeah, we get the snake thing, right? And so on and so forth. But there was so much to, to this man's history and ministry that was fascinating. He summed it up very well. One of the points that Father Michael Kaiser made about St. Patrick's life that was very true is this. Is when St. Patrick was young, probably a teenager, he was actually kidnapped and taken from his family by Irish pirates, to call them something, think, think in terms of that. He was actually kidnapped and taken and enslaved by them. And the role that he was given and forced to do in Ireland was he, he, he was forced into the role of being a shepherd over sheep. And it was during that time that so much of his prayerful spiritual formation occurred out in nowhere amongst the sheep, conversing with God, praying. Well, there's a point in time where St. Patrick escaped that enslavement and made his way back home. While he was back home, you want to hear what his greatest conviction was? I have to go back to those who enslaved me to share Jesus Christ the gospel with them. 
I want you to think about that. Here is a man, as a teenager, is taken from his family, causing pain in his family and also himself. Think about that. And forced to do labor beyond his will. And what does he do once he escapes? What's on his heart? I have to go back to those Irish pirates. I have to go back and be among them to share the good news of Christ. That their sins may be forgiven. That they may be restored. Isn't that incredible? When I think about that, and I've thought about that a lot, what you see there is God-like love. Not human love. You see that He was graced and had become like God in His love. What was Jesus doing when He was praying on the cross for all of those who were humiliating Him? forced him into that situation. He willingly went, but they had put him in that situation of absolute torture, absolute humiliation. What is it that he's saying? What's the breath of words that comes out of him while hanging on the cross in the humiliation and in the incredible pain? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. See, that's God-like because he was God. And St. Patrick was exhibiting that God-like love in wanting to go back to them. So Father Michael Kaiser writes at the end of that little section on St. Patrick. This is what he wrote. Genuine evangelism must be rooted in love for the very ones to whom we bring the gospel. If you want to know a singular driving force for the Great Commission to be fulfilled... For the God of mission who has a church, for His church to be doing what the God of mission does, the driving force is love. I want you to consider something for just a moment. How many of us, when we go about our day-to-day in life, how many of us are seeing those around us with the eyes of the love of God? And you and I know, you think about this, you and I know how many suffering people we come across, we come across in our daily, not necessarily every day, but throughout our daily walk, we will inevitably come across the suffering. We will come across those who are in the depths of anxiety or great pain or, or just lostness. And the question that's on me, that I'm sharing with you, it's not only me that gets to have the fun of some conviction. I share it with you. No, really. In, in all honesty, it's a very healthy thing. I, I look at my life and I feel very stretched by that statement. That true evangelism is rooted in love for those to whom we bring the gospel. And there is nothing else that can drive evangelism. It must be that we have attended to God in such a way in our lives and fellowship and read about the saints and read the Holy Scriptures and come to an understanding of the outpouring of the love of God that is to come through us, that we become like Him and we begin to go through our daily adventure without blinders on and seeing those around us with the profound eyes of the love, not our love, the profound eyes of the love of God. 
how he sees them. How he so desperately wants them to come out of darkness and come into his glorious light. How he wants to illumine them with everything that he is. In fact, my mind went to one of my favorite chapters in Hebrews, although I have a number of favorite chapters in Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books in Scripture. It so perfectly describes our Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll read you a couple of verses. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run the race of endurance that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was his joy? What was a joy that would press him to endure such a thing? What was the joy? Open question. Let's talk. Saving Saving us. That was a joy. That was a part of his incredible joy to endure the cross was our salvation. What else? Other thoughts? I mean, that's a good umbrella statement. In fact, a perfect umbrella statement. Mm Yeah. Testify to the truth. Okay, now think beyond and through the cross too. When he would ascend, he would take his place as our what? Because of the cross. Uh, Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he would become our great high priest, our mediator, and our advocate. The joy was not only saving us, but in the how He would save us. Not only by His shed blood, but when He would go up and ascend into heaven, He would take His place, and we say it every Mass multiple times, we call Him our mediator and our advocate. Our great high priest, who Hebrews describes, takes His own blood, blood shed from the cross, and stands in between those that He has created and His heavenly Father. And He stands in the gap in between them with His blood, pleading for the mercy of the Father to be poured out, that they might be saved. And He is in that role eternally. That was part of His joy that He knew would come. Because remember, He is the Alpha and the Omega. Even though he was in time, time can't hold him. So he knew. The joy set before him was everything that he had put in place. In fact, let's, let's even reduce the joy even further. The joy of Christ that drove him to the cross was you. It was me. I was his joy. You were his joy. Do you see that love? I can think about that thought, and I've even mentioned it from time to time, even in our Good Friday services. Sometimes I'll mention the joy set before Him was us. But that meditation of thought and thinking about the fact that it was such incredible joy and love for me, for all of you, that Christ would do such a thing. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Love was His motivation for going to such an extent to save us. 
And therefore, it is love that is the drive, the love of God that is the driving force behind the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so our prayers that we do, all of our prayers that we do, they form us into the likeness of God by the Holy Spirit as we commune with Him. Which is why years ago, I gave you what I handed to you again, just in case you misplaced it or never had one. And they are it's a prayer card of three prayers, three orthodox prayers for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, for missions and evangelism. And I want to just read one of them to you today. Because we believe that as we pray, we are being made in the likeness of God. I'll pray the first one. It's at the top on the first page. O Lord Jesus Christ, Thou good shepherd of the sheep, who didst come to seek and save that which was lost, we beseech Thee to be present in Thy power with the missions of Thy church in this our land. Show forth Thy compassion to the helpless. Enlighten the ignorant. Succor those in peril. And bring home the wanderers in safety to Thy fold. Who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Even in that one prayer, we see multiple things about who God is. And the depth of His love. O Jesus Christ, good shepherd of the sheep who came to seek and save the lost. This is who He is. This is why the incarnation occurred in the first place. Was His heart to save what had been lost. Show your compassion. Enlighten. He is a God who reveals Himself to those who don't know Him. He is a God who comforts those who are in peril outside of the ark of salvation, bringing them in. And bring home the wanderers in safety to thy fold. This is the heart of God. This is not just what we pray for God somehow to do. We're literally praying who God is. Do you get that? And by praying who God is, in communion and fellowship with Him in prayer, we become it. And so I plead with you again, as I did years ago. And I'm telling you right now, I am convinced. Because, what was it, two years ago I gave these out. Now, I don't know who has and who has not been faithfully praying these prayers along with your hours of prayer. I don't care, but I know enough of you have that God has been faithful. Because we haven't done a lot of programs of evangelism. We have simply been praying for the Lord to change our heart into His. And God has honored that prayer by bringing us, you saw it in our last annual meeting in January, how many souls God has brought to us. And not by a lot of programs, I believe, because we have simply been asking what His heart really is. Now God, if He wants us to cast a net in a certain way, I know He'll show us. I'm not worried about that. He'll give us something to do. Just like when He called the first fishermen. When He met Peter, James, and John, He told them exactly where to go in their boat and exactly how to cast the net because He had the fish ready. God will show us what to do. For me, the key importance is that we remain in prayer to gain His heart over the lost, as I've talked about today, that we gain His heart to become that kind of love. God-like love like St. Patrick had, to look out with that incredible passion 
to either by the way that we live and actually mostly by the way that we live and then when God gives us an opportunity to say something to someone, He gives us the words. But that we live in such a way that we see those around us with with His eyes of love that are looking to save, to relieve, and to bring into His kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay. So be about the prayers. Ask God to give you His heart and watch what He will do. Because it will amaze us all if we'll pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.